so I'll just tap it. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you as we open up your word um, that uh, as as we read it, um, as we hear it expounded upon, God, that you would give us hearts uh, that are open, um, that uh, are tilled up, um, God, that are ready to receive um, the seed of the gospel and and the wisdom uh, that uh, you have imparted to us through your word. God, we ask that you would work in us through the power of the Spirit to, to um, show us uh, the meaning of this passage um, and to apply it to our lives. God, that we would see your goodness and glory in it uh, and that we would um, know your son, Jesus Christ, better and, and live in a way that is conformed to his image. God, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Test, test. Am I good? All right, this is uh, Psalm Psalm 34, and I have titled this sermon, Hope for Bitter Cave Dwellers. All right, Hope for Bitter Cave Dwellers. Psalm 34, of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. And saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. All right, so does the title of this sermon make sense to anyone? Just wondering. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess uh, kind of my goal 
is uh, uh, to, to make that make sense to you, why I would title this sermon Hope for Bitter Cave Dwellers. Uh, and uh, the reason why I go that route is because uh, at the very beginning, uh, this psalm has a title heading that tells you the historical situation behind this psalm. Um, and so uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not trying to, to sit here and, and call everybody in this room uh, a bunch of, of cave dwellers. Uh, but no, there is there is a certain context to this song, uh, to this psalm, and uh, I'm hoping to uh, to be able to uh, reveal that to you today. When I took my notes out of my Bible, I lost my place. Um, so is, is there anybody in the room who's ever uh, spent the night in a cave, a night, a couple of nights, anything like that? Anybody ever done that? It's uh, Tim. Uh, well, so it's, uh, it's certainly not luxurious. Um uh, you know, there's there's nothing there's nothing glamorous about that lifestyle. Certainly not a lifestyle fit for a king. Um, but uh, you know, they, it can be messy in there. You know, then there's you know there's the bats. Uh, it's a wild time in a cave. Uh, stay away from uh, some caves though, um, for certain. Um, all right. Uh, so uh, what? Uh, since this psalm is helpful in, in presenting the historical context behind it, uh, I'm going to do a little bit of a historical buildup um, to help set the scene for this psalm. Uh, and so uh, going all the way back to, uh, you know, Israel being enslaved in Egypt, you know, in that situation, it says that the people cried out to the Lord. When people cried out, the Lord delivered them, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure uh, most everyone here is familiar with the, the Exodus story uh, with Israel being delivered out of Egypt. Uh, but that's what happened. Uh, Israel was enslaved. They were in turmoil. They cried out to the Lord and the Lord delivered them. Uh, and then um, when the Lord brought the people to the promised land, the people were commanded to conquer the Canaanites. And uh, in particular, the people were supposed to destroy the idols of the land and to destroy the temples. Um, and just uh, just as a freebie, uh, that's foreshadowing Christ's work. When Christ comes, uh, you see him constantly driving demons out. Uh, well, that's what the, the Israelites were called to do in Canaan, uh, was to uh, conquer the land, destroy all the idols, uh, get that demon worship put to death. Uh, uh, that's what the people were commanded to do, but so often uh, we see that the Israelites fell into sin. Whenever the Israelites fell into sin, the Lord treated them as Canaanites. Uh, the Lord did not treat them as his people when they fell into sin. And so uh, he allowed Israel to be conquered themselves. And what would happen is oftentimes you would see, uh, this is all throughout uh, the book of Judges, the, the Israelites would cry out to the Lord and the Lord would send somebody to deliver them. Uh, it's a, it's a constant theme that you see, uh, going through the Old Testament. Uh, the people in turmoil, they cry out to God and God delivers them. Uh, you, you start to see this as God's reputation. You know, God's reputation is that he will deliver his people. And yeah, that's, that's pretty well 
solid and guaranteed uh, as you read through the Old Testament. You can trust that God does so. That God does so. Uh, and so uh, when uh, when you make it to First Samuel, uh, at, at the start of First Samuel, you see that Israel is in bad shape. Uh, and two things that stand out at the beginning of First Samuel uh, is that the the priesthood of Israel are sexual predators. Um, so they have that going for them. And then also the Philistines are presenting a huge threat to Israel. Uh, so, uh, you know, the Israelites aren't holding up too well against the Philistines. And not only that, but their priesthood uh, is uh, as acting as uh, Canaanite idol worshipers. Uh, so Israel is not looking too good. Uh, and uh, the Lord does end up punishing Israel by allowing uh, the Philistines to uh, to uh, really uh, mess them up in a big way in a battle. Uh, and uh, so Israel, uh, it, it seems defeated, but uh, the Lord does uh, come back and you see this uh, revival uh, start to happen. Uh, and this is the scene that Samuel steps out to. Uh, Samuel enters the scene as a kind of last judge of the Old Testament, but also first prophet. Uh, so Samuel enters the scene and uh, with uh, with this sort of revival starting to happen in Israel. Uh, but right off the bat, you see the people going in the wrong direction. They come to Samuel and the people declare that they want a king like the nations. So it was not wrong for Israel to want a king, but what they wanted was a king like the nations. What they were supposed to want was God's king, the king that God had prepared for them. But what they demanded was a king like the nations. They still wanted to be like the other nations that they were supposed to conquer. And so uh, the Lord gives them what they asked for. Uh, the Lord, of course, uh, has Saul picked out to be Israel's first king. Uh, and uh, something to uh, you know, something to pay attention to there uh, is if you if you remember the situation with the spies when the Israelites spied out the land of Canaan, uh, the report that came back from ten of the twelve spies was, "We can't go there. We can't conquer these people. They are giants." Right? We can't conquer the Canaanites. The Canaanites are giants. Well, uh, the king that the Lord gives to Israel is a giant. That's how he's described in scripture. Saul is a head taller than everybody else in Israel. Um, and so uh, just kind of gives you an idea that, you know, when the people ask for a king like the nations, in a sense, the Lord has given them a Canaanite king. And uh, it, it does not go well for Israel. Uh, and so uh, even though Saul, even though Saul may have started out well, uh, he falls. He falls and he never does recover. Uh, Saul ultimately ends up uh, being a wicked king. Uh, and he is, uh, you know, if you're familiar with the parable in the Gospels, he was like a seed sown among thorns. And though he heard the word of the Lord, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choked out the word. And so ultimately Saul proved unfruitful. 
as a king of Israel. Uh, and so uh, the Lord has ultimately rejected Saul, and he is selecting another king for Israel. And of course, that king is David. David is the one selected to be the true king of Israel. And so uh, in, in this situation, you see uh, the first king, one who was kind of like uh, the first Adam, uh, he falls like our first Adam fell. Uh, and so what we are looking for, what we need next, we need a second Adam, one who will do the job that the first Adam failed at. Uh, and that, uh, that ends up being uh, David in this situation. Uh, you know, but of course we do know David does fall. Uh, he ends up, you know, as we see, he's not the true second Adam. Uh, we need, we need Christ. Uh, but what we see is David is a, uh, a type figure of the second Adam who was to come. And this David, uh, you, you see him right off the bat. Uh, he, you know, he is described as a, a man uh, after God's own heart. Uh, he is uh, very much a, a righteous guy, a solid, God-fearing man uh, who uh, really, as he comes onto the scene, you see him as somebody, this definitely is the king of Israel. Uh, so uh, uh, as so as David uh, enters the scene, he does end up marrying uh, one of Saul's daughters, and in a sense becomes like an adopted son to Saul. And uh, during David's time uh, with Saul, uh, he goes out to fight against the Philistines and has victory after victory time and time again. Uh, and uh, so David does so well that the people develop this song. Uh, and, and the people of the land would sing, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And uh, Saul is ultimately insulted by this. When Saul comes to find out this song that the people are singing, uh, he, uh, instead of uh, humbling himself and just saying, well, you know what? Yeah, that's true. You're right. Uh, Saul uh, gets prideful and he wants to kill David. Uh, you know, he, he realizes that uh, he has not done well. And instead of repenting and turning to the Lord, as you should expect a good king of Israel would do, he seeks to kill David. Again, he becomes a true Canaanite king, seeking to kill the king of Israel rather than seeking to drive out the uh, wicked kings of the other nations. Uh, and so... Uh, that uh, that sets the scene for us for where Psalm 34 comes from. Uh, because as David finds out that Saul wants to put him to death, David flees to the Philistines. Uh, he flees to the, the current top enemy of Israel. Uh, and, and why would he do so? Uh, it's Probably best guess is simply because it's not likely that Saul is going to pursue him uh, in the land of the Philistines to to try to get David. Because that's Saul's main concern. Saul's main concern as king of Israel is to kill David. So David flees to the Philistines 
And that turns out to be not such a great idea because of the uh, popular song that the Philistines picked up from uh, from the Israelites. Uh, and so uh, to set the scene for this psalm, uh, if you would turn to 1 Samuel chapter 21 and starting in verse 10. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servant of Achish said to him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his fiddle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him, and everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. Uh, so now maybe it might start to, to make sense uh, why I would have titled this uh, sermon uh, Hope for Bitter Cave Dwellers. Uh, because in the situation in which this psalm arose, uh, it was a rather hopeless looking situation uh and what you uh what you kind of see uh in uh the life of david uh, that's been presented thus far david is announced as king of israel and the israelites appear to want to kill david and so david is brought before a gentile king and the Gentile king appears to want to kill the king of Israel. And so the king of Israel ends up going and living in a tomb-like cave. Uh, so, so very much uh, living out the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, where you see Jesus Christ, uh, you know, he, he comes on to the scene calling Israel to repentance and to follow him. And Israel wants to put Jesus to death. Jesus goes before a Gentile king and the Gentile king is ready to have Jesus put to death. And then when Jesus is put to death, he is placed in a tomb. And we know that there is a lot of great hope at that moment. Because what do we expect to come? The resurrection. You know, at the moment that Psalm 34 was written was a very death-like moment for King David. He's got uh, pretty well, seems like uh, everyone is against him. He has been declared king of Israel, but yet he's been brought down to live in a cave but then you read Psalm 34 and you see the hope that pours out of his heart. David knows that the Lord is getting ready to do a great work. 
And what we're getting ready to see after this moment in David's life is a resurrection. David's as good as dead in this cave. And in the eyes of man, it's hopeless. But David knows and fears the one true God and knows that he's going to do a great work. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, it's, it still doesn't kind of seem to fit, right? Um, so you, you read this psalm, uh, and it's the Lord has uh, done a great rescue. You know, the Lord has rescued David from the situation. But, you know, go back and look at what happened. It says that, you know, David was, uh, you know, he's, he's ultimately in captivity. Uh, we, we kind of uh, understand that uh, being the context. Um, but, you know, he's recognized. Like, this is, this is the David. This is the great David. This is the guy from the songs. You know, this is the guy who uh, has whooped our tail tons of times. This is that David. You know, we, we have him. So then, of course, the next thing would be, you know, let's, let's torture him. Let's execute him, right? You know, that, that seems to be the case. So David is in distress. You know, he's in great distress in this situation. And what happens? You know, he acts like animal from the Muppets, right? He becomes a madman. Yeah. And in a sense, what he does is he displays before the Philistines the way the Philistines appear before God. You know, he's, he's kind of acting that out in front of the Philistines. And in a sense, um, you know, that is how the Lord brings deliverance. You know, somehow that song that was developed in Israel made its way over to the Philistines. And when David overheard them mention that song, he knew he was in trouble and uh, the Lord provided a way out by allowing him to present himself to the Philistines the way the Philistines are before the God of all things. Uh, so uh, in this situation, uh, David, after he is delivered from the Philistines, he makes his way to the cave of Adullam. And when people find out where David is, they go to him. And you see, you know, there's there's quite a number of folks. Uh, and it says that there are some who are bitter in soul. And there's there's a lot of folks who uh, who probably fought with David in combat, who also maybe fought uh, under Saul's leadership in combat. And they know David obviously is the true God-fearing king of Israel. Saul is making things miserable for everyone, bringing judgment upon the people because he will not repent and turn and follow God. You know, so you have all these people who are bitter in soul going to, they'd rather go and dwell with David in a cave than continue to live under Saul's leadership in Israel. Uh, and so during this time, how, you know, how does David try to encourage these bitter people, these uh, sorrowful people who are coming to him uh, for him to lead them? Uh, he likely uses these songs. 
Psalm 34 was probably first presented to uh, these folks in the cave of Adullam. And uh, so right now, uh, now I'm going to try to uh, not take so much time with it, uh, but uh, I'm going to go through Psalm 34 uh, and hopefully help, uh, you know, shed uh, some better light uh, on this psalm for you. All right, so Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I mean, it sounds crazy. Somebody who has been brought so low, I mean, it was guaranteed to him, you are the king of Israel. He's brought so low that he's now living in a cave. And what does David say? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Um, it's just, it, it, it is, it's tough to really make sense of that. You know, especially, uh, in our, uh, luxurious way of living, uh, you know, in our time, it's, it's really hard to comprehend. Uh, but he says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. And let the humble hear and be glad because only the humble can hear. Only the humble can taste and see that the Lord is good. The prideful Saul, it was a bitter taste in his mouth. You know, God's word uh, just made Saul sick because he would not humble himself. And so let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to cover it today, but Psalm 56. Psalm 56 is another psalm that is tied into this situation. And what Psalm 56 is, is David's cry out to the Lord from being in distress from being held captive by the Philistines. And so uh, it's, it's presented as though what uh, in, in the line of events is that uh, David uh, gets recognized, he gets taken captive, and so he cries out to God. And that's what Psalm 56 is. It's David's prayer calling God to deliver him. Uh, so Psalm 56, Psalm 34 comes after, and this is David saying, I sought the Lord, Psalm 56, and he answered me and delivered me from my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And this, I'd say, is obviously uh, the, the foundation of David's hope. Is knowing that he dwells in God's tent. He knows God is committed to delivering his people. That is the God that David serves. So even while he is king of Israel, sitting in a cave, he knows that he 
is in the Lord's tent. And he expects uh, a, a resurrection moment for himself. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, if you take the time to read through the Old Testament, you will see that theme time and time again. The Lord does deliver his people. No matter how many times that we find ourselves in cave moments where we've been brought down low, we can expect deliverance from our Lord. We wait upon the Lord. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. All right, so that seems like an odd line, right? Um, going in talking about young lions. Uh, well, keep in mind, David does know uh, a thing or two about lions. Uh, he spent his childhood uh, chasing lions away from sheep. If a lion grabbed a hold of one of David's sheep, you knew that that lion was in big trouble. All right, this, this, is, this is David. He is a great warrior. Uh, and so he knows a thing or two about lions. And in the scene where you see David conquer Goliath, David conquers Goliath as though he is conquering a lion. Now, I believe he, uh, I believe he does that on purpose uh, as a way of saying, um, not only am I going to take down this blasphemous giant, but I'm going to treat him like a beast of the land to show God's greatness. Uh, and so um, what I believe that David is referring to here when he says that the young lions suffer want and hunger, uh, he's, he's talking about uh, the wicked nations. Uh, he's, he's talking about uh, especially uh, maybe even the Philistines who uh, they constantly uh, want. You know, they're, they're, the Philistines really are living in madness, worshiping demons, uh, fighting against God's people. The Philistines are living in madness and they suffer want and hunger. And David says, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You know, the humble of the land, they lack no good thing. They know that God is the true king. He does provide and he does deliver. And so those who seek the Lord, they do not suffer want and hunger. They, they wait on the Lord. They cry out to God when they know they need to, and they wait for the Lord's deliverance. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. All right, so one of the baddest dudes who ever walked the face of the earth, uh, he delights in teaching the fear of the Lord to children. Now, in this situation, but David's in a cave, it looks hopeless. But what he's seeking to do 
Let's go ahead. Let's raise up the next generation. Let's train them in the fear of the Lord. Yeah, if you if you have the kind of mindset um, that you're like, ah, I'm not a kid person, you know, children aren't my thing. Hey, David would probably say, okay, we'll grow up. You know, uh, you've got to change your mind. Understand, taste and see that the Lord is good. Treasure children rightly. I don't care how hard you think you are. Humble yourself. Raise up children. Raise up the next generation. If you're not proud of the situation that you're in right now, now raise up your children to be great. In the situation that David was in with Saul, you know, when Saul hears the song that Saul kills his thousands, David his tens of thousands, Saul should have said, great. The next generation looks like it's going to be in better hands. You know, somebody looks at me and says, ah, James is okay, but Lucas is tremendous. I'm going to be like, great. That is what I want. I want my son to be better than I was. You know, and that, I believe, is the heart uh, behind verse 11, which says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Like Jesus saying, let the little children come to me. You know, let's raise up the next generation. Train them to raise up the next generation. Verse 12, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Uh, this is a line that Peter uses in 1 Peter uh, when he describes, uh, or yeah, he calls the people, uh, if they are, to uh, bless others in order to obtain a blessing, then uh, this is what they need to do. He uses a psalm. He says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. And you're probably, now hold on a minute. Let me get this straight. So David was in a situation where he was captured by the Philistines and he deceives them. And in celebration of the Lord's deliverance, he writes in a psalm, you know, do not deceive. Uh, I mean, I don't know if anybody thought that, but I sure did. Uh, but uh, honestly, um, so in that situation, uh, I firmly believe we need to recognize that there is a difference in the scripture between lying and what's called righteous deception. Um, because you see, all throughout the Old Testament, there are tons of scenes of what you would describe as righteous deception. Uh, and one of the biggest ones that always stands out to me, um, and always pumps me up, is uh, the Hebrew midwives uh, in Exodus. You know, early on in Exodus, you read about uh, the Hebrew midwives when the Pharaoh is seeking to put Hebrew baby boys to death. The Hebrew midwives flat out lie to Pharaoh and just say, I don't know. I don't know how these boys are, are being born. Uh, I guess the women are doing it in secret. You know, seeking to rescue the next generation, they flat out lie to Pharaoh. And they are presented as heroes for doing so. And then you have Rahab, 
uh, Rahab, you'll read about in Hebrews, uh, being described as a woman of great faith. And what does she do? She deceives her own people. She lies directly to her own people to rescue Israelite uh, spies. And she is commended for great faith because she used righteous deception. Uh, there are commentators who will often say uh, that David does sin when he pretends to be a madman before the Philistines. But I do not believe that that's biblically accurate. Now, as a solid principle, do not lie. Be a person of truth and honesty. If you're at work and you realize that you might get fired if you don't lie, I'm sorry, you're going to have to take it. You're going to have to get fired. You're going to have to tell the truth. All right, that's not where you would use righteous deception. Righteous deception is the kind of thing that you would use to rescue somebody from murder, right? To rescue somebody from uh, enslavement, kidnapping. Um, you know, if you were uh, alive at the time during the Underground Railroad, lie, righteous deception. Rescue those who are escaping slavery. You know, if you're uh, if you're in the time of uh, the Holocaust, you got Nazis searching for Jews, and you're hiding Jews in your house. Lie, lie to the Nazis. Righteous deception. Uh, so, for many of us here in this room, you may never need to use righteous deception in your life. The only kind of situation I can maybe think of where you might use righteous deception is if you were trying to rescue somebody from an abusive situation. Lie. Do what you've got to do to rescue those who are in danger. All right. But there, just keep in mind though. All right. You can't, you can't just use righteous deception, uh, and just, you know, feel like you're, you're right for doing so to rescue yourself over some sin that you committed. That is just actual plan out sinful lying. But there is a difference between lying and righteous deception. And I believe that David uses this when he, uh, when he's in his situation of danger with the Philistines. Uh, so, uh, it's actually okay then for David to write, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. What he's describing here is this, uh, this congregation that has met David in the cave, this congregation of people, how they are to go forward and how they are to rise up is through this, uh, through this method, um, that he is describing. Um, so, uh, be people of truth, right? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That is something that Saul absolutely failed at. But this is what David is calling those who are following him to do. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. So uh, now this, this one probably is uh, most difficult for everyone um, to grasp is that the Lord does see you. 
right now, the Lord does see you. And you in particular. He sees you and he does hear you. He does listen to you. Your God does not ignore you. Whatever trial, whatever um, whatever struggle that you are going through, do cry out to God. And it is hard to wait on the Lord through a trial, but you do have to trust. And his reputation shows it. The Lord does see you. The Lord does hear you. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. We may not understand the Lord's work, but he is certainly worth waiting on. We have to trust that what God is doing, he is doing for our good and for his glory. That is probably the most difficult thing to do. But it is what we are called to do. And we must do it. It says the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. Uh. And so, so in the situation uh, of Saul, you know, Saul uh, ultimately became uh, a wicked man. Uh, but he really was what the people wanted. He was what the people asked for. And so Saul being set up as king uh, was a way of God bringing judgment upon the Israelites. Uh, uh, in, uh, in my personal life, I have had a Saul in my life. Uh, uh, just, a, just a crazy situation. Uh, I was working for a ministry and... Uh, my boss, I discovered, was a sexual predator. When I exposed it, when I made it known, when I sought to have him removed from ministry, what kept him there was the numbers of people who said, no, he is exactly what we want. It's madness. It's insanity. And that, I believe, is very similar to this situation in Israel, where obviously uh, Saul is not who you want, but he really was what the people said they wanted. And so the Lord said, okay, judgment upon you. Here you go. You have your king. You have your leader. And the Lord does that. The Lord does often give people what they want. So really be careful what you ask for. You know, pay attention to what you ask for. And it says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. If anybody had reason to be crushed in spirit, you certainly know it should be David. Honestly, I'm in that situation. I am absolutely crushed. Probably feeling defeated. 
Uh, I've, I've often had that happen in my life where I did not respond in the way that David did. The praise of the Lord will continuously be in my mouth. Uh, but be challenged, be encouraged. The Lord does here. He's doing a great big work. We may not see it. We may not understand it. We may never understand it as we are living on this earth today. But trust that the Lord is doing a great work. He is working out uh, salvation uh, constantly. And so we got to trust what the Lord is doing. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. And John uh, mentions this psalm uh, in his gospel as uh, this being uh, a prophecy of Christ. Because for Christ, certainly many were his afflictions. But also, uh, literally, his bones were never broken. Uh, You know, you see that at the scene on the cross uh, when the soldiers were going through and uh, breaking the legs of the two on uh, on each side of Jesus. And then they go to Jesus and they say, oh, we don't need to break his legs. He is already dead. Uh, and that is, uh, in a sense, a, a living parable for us. That yes, though we are bruised in many ways, we will never be broken. Just as Christ was afflicted in many ways and never broken himself. You know, that, that stands as a promise to us. Then affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. So we ourselves... Uh, we need to have the same kind of resurrection hope that David has. You know, he's in a cave, but he knows the Lord is getting ready to do a great work. The godless do not have that. Now, all the godless have is want and hunger. And affliction will constantly slay them. And then often, often in many ways, because of their affliction, they condemn the righteous. We see that a lot. Uh, but we know that we don't feel affliction in the same way that the wicked do. You know, we do have very real resurrection hope. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. But there are, uh, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that, that stands as our 
living hope. Uh, that is what we stand upon as we go about uh, in this world. Uh, so just as just as Israel had the command to go and conquer the nations, and drive out the wickedness, we have a similar command. The Lord, though he does not conquer with spear or sword, but with song and with praise. You know, our gathering and worship here is us going forward into this world to conquer nations, to thwart wickedness and many uh, murderous uh, leaders and governments. This gospel has the power to bring them down, to humble them, to bring forth repentance. You know, but we do need to trust that word. We do not need to go our own way as the Israelites constantly did. They did what was right in their own eyes, not seeking to serve the Lord. You know, but we do have a greater assurance than the Israelites did. And as we go forth in a call to conquer, you know, we do so to bring peace to lay down our lives for for the wicked. Uh, You know, David, though he was declared king, he did not make equality with Saul a thing to be grasped. But instead, he humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. Right? David, again, he is a picture of Christ. And that, again, uh, is is how we are to live out, not to uh, not to seek. You know, the Lord has promised this is our world. The Lord has given us all things. But we do not reach out and grasp for it. We do not seize it. We wait on the Lord for the Lord to fully deliver it to us. So we go forth to conquer, but we go forth to conquer as humble servants. Humble servants of the true king. And so, um, you know, I don't know uh, if anybody kind of feels this way, uh, but there, there is a sense in which um, the situation of David in a cave uh, is uh, similar in ways to our situation as Christians in the United States. Uh, Popular Christianity is oftentimes very much opposed to God's word. And then we have uh, many leaders in our nation who are also very much opposed to God's word. And in a sense, those who love and are devoted to God's word have very well been casted aside in our society. We really are hated all around. And much of the reason why we are hated all around uh, is because of, um, you know, things like we ourselves, we have many 
sexual predators in the priesthood. Much like in Israel's situation. So just, I hope that you can see how this psalm can apply to you, you know, especially if you feel that way. If you feel like uh, you're a part of a movement uh, that has been cast aside by the society you live in. Understand there is hope. We do have resurrection hope. Uh, I don't, I don't believe as is often popular that ultimately the future is going to be a situation in which things are constantly going to get worse and worse and worse. And then when things are absolutely at their most worst, then Christ is coming back. I actually, I, I don't believe that. I believe the message from scripture is that of history has this pattern of death and resurrection all through. You see that played out with David. And you see that played out uh, going back even further. You see that played out with Joseph. You know, Joseph goes through a great death in his life and then is given a great resurrection and becomes a blessing to many nations. You know, such can be our situation. And it seems like, uh, you know, it may seem hopeless to be a Bible-believing Christian in the United States. You know, but what, what do we need to do? We need to wait on the Lord. We need to expect a resurrection moment. History is full of it. Uh, you know, people, uh, people didn't expect much, uh, when, uh, you know, at the fall of Rome. Who knew what the future of the church was going to be? But it went forth in a resurrection moment. And of course, at the time of the Reformation, the church did not look too good before the Reformation. And what happened? The Lord brought about a great resurrection moment. You know, all of world history is built upon this pattern of death and resurrection. Because that is how the Lord loves to work. He loves a good resurrection story. And so that is our hope even today. You know, whatever, uh, whatever situation that you may find yourself in, uh, you know, any, any kind of, of a trial, uh, wait on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. We already know we have been given the resurrection in the end. We know that. We know we have no reason to even fear death. Because God has promised you will be resurrection or you will be resurrected at the end. And so uh, just how, how do we respond? Well, um, what did David do? He wrote a song. He wrote a song for the people who followed him to sing together in praise of the Lord. How do we go forth? Well, we go forth with singing. You know, we meet here weekly. We, we, we gather here to sing and praise. And that is how we will go forth. We wait on the Lord. We obey the Lord. We seek to train up this next generation. In this time of what may seem like hopelessness, train up the next generation. Let's see what happens. The Lord works resurrection all the time. 
And we go forth and we speak peace. We go forth to speak peace into all this insanity that we see around us. Bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. Especially thank you for, uh, for how wild your word is. How wise. Lord, we ask that uh, through it, you would continue to do a great work. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And then, apologize. Uh, just real quick, I wanted to, uh, so I know uh, a lot of people, um, I've, I've heard talk uh, that they want to get deeper into the Psalms. They do want to make Psalms more of a, a bigger part of their lives. Uh, I've got two books here um, that I think are, are excellent for going deeper in the Psalms to help get a better grasp and understanding because, of course, uh, there is a lot uh, that is much confusing in the Psalms. Uh, but uh, this first one is called Psalms for Trials by uh, Lindsay Tollefson. Uh, this is an excellent book to uh, just uh, go through and see uh, just how uh, how gospel-rich the Psalms are and how hopeful uh, many of the Psalms are, uh, especially in relation to uh, whatever situation you might be going in in your life. Um, so learning, uh, ultimately learning how to pray and meditate uh, upon the Psalms, uh, Psalms for Trials. And then I found this one recently. This is called Psalms by the Day. And it has all of the Psalms uh, in this book. And it is set up in a way that uh, is um, educational, but, uh, you know, not, uh, not too nerdy, if that makes any sense. Um, so it's, it's educational to help with bringing understanding to the Psalms, but also it is a devotional uh, and, and very helpful uh, with, uh, with daily reading in the Psalms. Uh, so uh, Psalms by the Day by Alec uh, Motier, and then uh, Psalms for Trials by L- Lindsay Tollefson. Uh, just wanted to share that with everybody.
James, um, you know, something I was thinking uh, as, as you finished is probably many of you have seen that. It goes around Facebook. And it's this image that is a, a visual representation of how often the Bible references itself. Have y'all seen that? It kind of looks like a, like multiple rainbows kind of sitting on top of each other, right? And so it, basically what it does is it has a point across this grid that represents every verse in the Bible and then draws a line for every time a verse here, you know, references a verse here, whatever. But it makes this incredible um, kind of picture or whatever. And so as I was thinking, as you were going through the passage about how many times just in that one psalm, there are, it's it's referenced in the New Testament. It's calling back to other things in the Old Testament um, and how interconnected all of it is. But you know what? At the same time, uh, the message is the same as the message that uh, of the psalm that I had last week. And really the one before that is that at the end of the day, we hope in the Lord, um, that that is the only thing that we have. Um, and, and despite the situation of our lives, despite the, the trials, um, we hope in the Lord, um, because we have nothing else. So thank you again. Um, hope you guys have a great week. Um, look forward to seeing you next week. Here's benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. See you next week. Thanks, guys. Again.